Jake from sunny Miami. How's it going, man? <laughs> Hi, Will. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Uh, Alex, you're out there too. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, good. I am not in sunny Miami. I am in cold Kansas City. So, Jake, we're a little bit jealous of you out there. Well, just to be clear, I'm from New York, so I'm just visiting Miami. But, yes, it's a great time to be in Miami while New York is under, like, nine inches of snow. I feel like here in Kansas, it's going to be that way. It'll go from winter to summer in, like, a week's time. So we'll get a little bit of New York this week and then a little bit of Miami next week. Nice. Well, Jake, uh, how about you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Totally. Um, I'm a technologist. I, uh, you know, I studied math and computer science in school. Uh, I had about a 10-year career in tech. I used to work in quantitative trading and research and development uh, at some hedge funds on Wall Street. Then I spent about two years uh, at Amazon as a technical product manager and engineer, running a team of about 10 in, in the ad tech space. Uh, and then I was a CTO of a fintech startup um, doing some very interesting work on reconstructing the financial models of private technology companies. And we we're actually one of the first sources of that kind of research data on Bloomberg back in 2011. Um, so since then, I have uh, I've gone full time into the blockchain space. My journey be began in, in actually in 2011, in April when I got my first Bitcoin. I uh, was following along with the space and then around 2015, said, I really want to, I want to be in this space full time. What do I do? Maybe I should start a tech startup uh, and be a founder and entrepreneur. Um, quickly realized that the technology was so nascent that it would take years and years to evolve and, and, and develop. And I decided to be an investor instead. And it made a lot of sense to me because I had, you know, half of my career was in, was in FitTech. Um, so I started CoinFunds in July of 2015. Uh, CoinFund is one of the world's first uh, blockchain and digital asset-focused investment firms. Um, the thesis was that digital assets would become a new asset class. That thesis has played out dramatically uh, over the last five years, and we are where we are now, where Elon uh, has, has bought a, a, mil a billion and a half of Bitcoin to put on the Tesla balance sheet, um, and a lot of blockchain technologies are now heading to, to market. Um, we've been very actively involved in the blockchain space as a generalist investor. So verticals ranging from DeFi, decentralized finance, all the way to digital art and collectibles, uh, like in the case of Dapper and the Flow blockchain. Um, been very actively investing, um, been uh, very actively working with teams, helping them solve problems. Um, and now seeing in 2021, really the first uh, signs of consumer and corporate adoption of blockchain technology. So it's a really exciting year for us. And that's, uh, that's how I got here. That's amazing. That's amazing. So when you, when you talk about digital assets and blockchain, uh, what, what exactly like are you investing in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Um, it's, you know, early investors in the space, they took the view of venture. And so they started investing in the private equity of companies who were building blockchain products. And then um, very quickly, uh, founders realized that they could start raising money through digital assets themselves. And they started creating uh, decentralized applications and protocols that had native 
tokens embedded within them and sort of represented like governance rights or, or, or revenue rights or, or value, some kind of value capture for that protocol. Um, and so as a blockchain investor, we actually invest in a gamut of, of, of things. We invest in the private equity of companies that are building tools and are servicing the blockchain space. We invest in convertible notes and early um, uh, kind of notes for digital assets that are to be created later. Those are usually called SAFs, Simple Agreement for Future Tokens. And then we also invest in the digital assets themselves. Um, things like, you know, maybe Bitcoin and Ether, but more, more interestingly, kind of the, the, the digital assets of protocols like the Aave token um, or, or, um, or Rare, Rare coin, which is the, the coin of the rareable NFT marketplace that captures its revenue and governance rights. Yeah, I saw something recently about rareables, uh, I think. Was it Lindsay Lohan? Yeah, Lindsay Lohan minted some digital art um, on Rarible and sold it for, for, uh, for a few tens of thousands of dollars for charity. It's pretty cool. I think the, when she posted, I think she said Bitcoin, right? Her post. <laughs> yeah, she said Bitcoin to the moon, and then she, uh, and then she used Ethereum. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, Jake. Kind of as like a, as like a just a, a segue for, from that, um, and and kind of like the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum. So I think a lot of our listeners probably aren't super familiar with just like the general crypto landscape, um, and kind of like the idea of what decentralization um, can offer and some of the trade offs that are also associated with that. Um, so I'm curious if you can give us just kind of like an overarching view of kind of the crypto landscape and why. Um, you like how you formed your initial thesis and if that thesis has evolved over time um, and kind of like where you think the space is going in general. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Um, and by the way, one of the reasons I'm here uh, is, is, is that Alex, um, you worked at our firm uh, as a summer analyst and did a great job looking at some of these companies with us. So thank you for that. Um, the landscape is, is complicated, but let me start with at the beginning. So um, block, Bitcoin was the first blockchain technology and, and Bitcoin is really like the first blockchain app and what it implements is a digital currency. It's currency that is uh, a fixed supply. Uh, it cannot be inflated or deflated uh, very easily or maybe at all. Um, it is a, um, a volatile asset, so it actually after five years of looking at the stuff, most people um, would say that Bitcoin is a kind of a suboptimal currency. It, it's actually more, you know, this, the story these days is now that Bitcoin is more like a store of value or a digital gold asset, which is a, which is a more compelling categorization for it. But the point is that Bitcoin blockchain only does one thing. It, um, it keeps track of balances uh, of who owns how much Bitcoin and, and who could send Bitcoin to, to each other. Ethereum uh, is kind of a generalization of blockchain technology. It said, why don't we create a programming language that um, allows people to create these things called smart contracts that share the same property of like immutability and um, strong consensus. In other words, these are computer programs that live on the internet that once you code them up, no one can really change the code. You have some very strong guarantees around uh, what smart contracts will do once, we're, once they're deployed. 
And on top of Ethereum, you can actually implement Bitcoin uh, the, or functionality equivalent to Bitcoin, about eight lines of code, which is a huge efficiency uh, improvement. So to answer your question about thesis, Alex, um, you know, when I came into the space, obviously it was through Bitcoin in 2011. That was the, really the only thing that existed. But as a technologist, um, I've been adopting technology all my life. I started with, you know, having a computer in our house in 1990. Both my mom and my dad are engineers. Um, a Sun workstation. I learned how to code when I was 14. Um, you know, I participated in like the early days of the internet in like 1994. Um, I was you know, I adopted a cell phone in 1999. I adopted Bitcoin in 2011. I just bought a Tesla uh, last year. Um, so I think I'm still kind of an early adopter, maybe not as early as other things, but, um, and so I always have the sense that innovation doesn't stop, right? We're on this like innovation curve that keeps going. And when I came into the space as an investor, really in 2015, a lot of the Bitcoin people were saying, you don't really need any other blockchains. You, you know, Bitcoin will do everything that you want it to do. And I sort of like totally didn't believe that. I said, um, it's not going to stop people's interest in developing this technology, making it faster, optimizing it. Also, I'm an engineer. I used to work at Amazon, right? Like I know that one architecture isn't good for every possible application out there. And so it really seemed like people would be building a lot of blockchains to serve different use cases. And that thesis was the foundation of CoinFund. Like we said, Bitcoin is cool, but what are all the other things doing? And can we build fundamental value in those things? Can we provide services that are competitive with traditional services in the form of smart contracts or in the form of protocols? And the answer has turned out to be resoundingly yes. We now have protocols in the market that do things like provide cloud storage, but they do it cheaper than Amazon or video transcoding but they do it 10 times to 100 times cheaper than Amazon. That's called livepeer.org. Um, we have domain name services that are just implemented as a blockchain. Check out Handshake, check out ENS. Um, so, you know, the first wave of this innovation went around probably toward these like digital services. Um, but I think they can extend to marketplaces in general, even doing things like what Uber and Airbnb do. Um, it has certainly extended to finance. So in DeFi space, um, you know, you could borrow, lend, create derivatives, uh, create lending protocols, um, you know, trade, do, do all of the financial services that are usually we're used to being offered by intermediaries, but now you can get them from, you know, these very efficient blockchain smart contracts. Um, so that thesis continues to uh, to play out, that there's not going to be one blockchain or even two blockchains. There's going to be many, many different blockchains that serve many, many different purposes and applications. Yeah, thanks, Jake. That, that, that was great. Um, and, and can you, so having having worked with you guys at CoinFund, and, and thanks for thanks for thinking of me. Uh, obviously, like, it was a blast, and I had so much fun doing it. So uh, my own plug for CoinFund will, is that, I guess. <laughs> and um, But just thinking about kind of like what you guys do differently and how you structure your fund. Um, so I know this, but can you talk a little bit more about how the fund kind of part in the ecosystem in the form of um, providing value back to the protocols? Absolutely. Well, you know, these days, if you're an active investor in the blockchain space and you go to a company, 
uh, and you say, I want to invest in your, in your opportunity, it's really much less about money these days. Like everyone has a check to write, but the founders are much more interested in the value that investors add to their pro project or, or company or product. And usually I get questions like, well, what do you guys do? Uh, like we're building a protocol. What do you guys do to actively participate in that protocol? Will you add liquidity to the supply side of our lending protocol? Or are you versed in the governance process of protocols? Will you be putting in governance proposals or at least analyzing them and helping us make the best decisions? Um, are you uh, providing even like storage space on our decentralized cloud storage network? And as an investor, we kind of, you know, we kind of go into like a bit of a different world here where we have the opportunity as investors to technologically participate in the networks themselves. And the core reason why we wanna do that is because we think that that increases the long-term success of projects. You know, we're helping them bootstrap and, and operate smoothly. And, and the other reason is that it provides an edge as an investor, right? If I can earn um, kind of higher yields in a lending protocol earlier than other folks, um, and at the same time, help my portfolio company. I think that's a that's an excellent value proposition for an investor. And so, this idea of active network participation, it's akin to um, almost like post investment management in traditional venture world, where you go around and you synergize your companies and you you know you help them biz dev and you help them get out there. But when you're in the world of protocols, you sometimes have to just put in some of that capital yourself as a fund, as an investor. Um, and, and that's called active network participation. So at CoinFund, we have actually a number of strategies. We have a liquid strategy. It's been up for, for about a year since February, 2020. That's led by Seth Gins. Uh, he's one of our partners and head of liquid investments at CoinFund. He's, he was a Jenison on Wall Street for 18 years, um, by side equity analyst and, and is now uh, you know, leading, leading that strategy. Um, and then the, our venture strategy looks at the early stages of these protocols as well as the active network participation side. So for example, today we, we run validators on uh, about 10 portfolio networks. So we actually operate nodes on the blockchain networks themselves. Um, we add liquidity to liquidity pools. Like we have an investment in a project called Balancer, which is a decentralized exchange and liquidity protocol. Um, and you know, that, that also helps other companies. Like we had one, uh, one company whose token wasn't that liquid. We helped them get into a balancer pool and add liquidity to, to their public market for their token. And so, you know, that, that has helped them kind of get out, uh, get out to market a little bit better. Um, we also actively participate in the governance processes uh, in these protocols. Like our investment team was looking at a proposal for um, you know, for live peer token to get listed into this other, you know, program that, that, that's out there, right? And that requires the consent of, uh, you know, live peer token holders. Um, so we are a deeply engaged investor. We understand the tech deeply. We navigate the tech and we actively participate in the, the products and networks that we build. Yeah, I love that. I, I feel like it's definitely, um, it's almost like a, a an enhanced version of skin in the game, right? Like you're, you're really act actively participating in in these companies and in, in the network. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, like why, 
I mean, you, you mentioned a little bit about uh, why you decided to become an investor versus an entrepreneur or founder in the space. Um, and, and do you think, uh, A, did you, do you think you made the right choice? Um, and B, uh, do you think, like, what advice would you give founders like looking to get into the space now that the technology has developed quite a bit? Absolutely. Um, so I think I made the right choice for me. Um, and that is because I'm a person who will go crazy if I have to do the same thing every day. Like there are some people who excel at that, like sushi chefs. Um, and I feel like I need something new and different all the time to keep me engaged. And there's absolutely nothing more diverse than the blockchain space that I can think of. This is a conglomeration of technology, finance, art, um, all these kinds of disciplines. This is because blockchain technology is broadly applicable across industries. It's kind of like a database, you know, like what companies out there use a database? Well, you know, all of them, right? Um, and so there's this incredible uh, diversity to the type of uh, opportunities that there are. There is an incredible diversity to the type of people uh, that are attracted to the space, like architects and artists and technologists and finance people and investors and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so I, as an investor, I get a high level view of all of this stuff. I talk to like, you know, five companies that are all working on the same uh, product. And I, I'm in a position to say, and, and to form an opinion about like, who, like what's the right solution there based on these five attempts, right? It's a very rewarding and interesting and, and kind of diverse experience. What I would say to founders is it is really the best time ever um, to get into blockchain right now. And the reason is, you know, I think Elon's Bitcoin purchase marks the, the era of consumer adoption. I think we're going to see a lot of blockchain products going to market. Everybody that I'm talking to right now, they need engineers, they need marketing people, they need, um, you know, all kinds of personnel for the startups. Um, it's not just a space for technologists. It's a space for everybody that has like domain expertise in whatever vertical you are versed. You might be able to find a company that's doing some kind of block blockchain approach to that thing. Um, and it's also about to be a renaissance for engineers because um, so far, Solidity has been the primary programming language in which um, blockchain smart contracts have been created. But where we're heading for now is that there's a proliferation of programming languages. We have Facebook putting out Move. We have Flow Blockchain putting out Cadence. We have something like four or five uh, languages in the zero knowledge space. Um, we have uh, uh, Wasm, which is WebAssembly, being integrated as a virtual machine for blockchain smart contract programming, which means that when that's done, it's gonna create the opportunity to use something like a traditional standard language like Rust or C or Go, right? In the context of smart contract programming. And so there's about, I think there's like 25 million, you know, engineers in the world. And there's probably like a few thousand, if that engineers in blockchain today. And that opportunity is, is that's a huge addressable market uh, of folks we can get into the space. Jake, you talked about, earlier you talked about looking at five different companies working on the same 
uh, working to solve the same issue. Uh, so how do you how do you pick the winners? Is there like a you know do you have a back of the napkin checklist um, that you need to see in order to actually make an investment? Um, could you walk us through that? Yeah. So I think I think I would frame it differently. I don't think we pick winners as much as we pick winning trends or or high growth trends um, in a technology that tends to evolve like extremely quickly. Let, maybe let's talk a little bit about like why it's like faster than other things. Um, technology evolves quickly in general, but here's why blockchain technology evolves even more quickly. Everything is open. Everything is open source. All of the collaboration on the innovation in blockchain happens in public. A lot of it happens on Twitter. <laughs> um, the capital formation mechanisms of blockchain are super powered compared to other capital formation mechanisms. So, you know, in other industries, you know, you're looking for venture capital or, you know, or debt, you know, and you have these traditional processes. In blockchain, we've seen things like ICOs, we've seen things like um, public token sales, uh, crowdfunding, um, liquidity mining, like all kinds of mechanisms that get capital to founders much, much faster. It's so interesting that like, you know, crowdfunding platforms don't crowdfund themselves, right? Like they're just traditional companies, but in blockchain crowdfunding platforms crowdfund themselves because they have the sort of rails and mechanisms to do it. So the first thing is to say is blockchain moves at an incredible pace of innovation. In that context, it's really hard to be a winner, right? Because by the time you think of a technology and you put it into market a year later, that idea is like almost like surely obsolete. And so when we invest, we're not necessarily investing in like, okay, we think that like just this particular thing is gonna be the end all be all winner of this area. What we more see is that we anticipate a trend. We say, oh, you know, we think decentralized exchange is gonna be huge. And then there's so many different kind of approaches to decentralized exchange, so many companies, so many technologies that will probably like pick a few things. We'll take venture views on, you know, on certain companies. We'll take um, just public digital assets on other like you know, innovations in that area. And then we'll hold a basket of things to, you know, to get access to that trend. Now, what actually happened to DEXs? Well, I remember Alex and at the end of 2016, I was writing like, oh, 2017, I think DEXs are going to be huge. Well, it didn't really happen until 2020. It took quite a bit more years for DEXs. They were just sort of sitting there with a few million dollars of, of daily volume for many years. But then what happened in 2020 is that that number shot up dramatically because the number of tokens in the market shot up dramatically. And it's hard to list a token on Coinbase or a centralized exchange in Asia. But it's much easier to list a token on a DEX because it's open and public and permissionless. And what happened was that a lot of people started to go to DEXs to put their token out there and liquidity started to form. And then these days we're doing $2 billion a day in volume on decentralized exchanges. And by the way, that's less than 1% of crypto daily volume. So the addressable market for decentralized exchange is huge. And we invested in that trend early across a number of companies and assets. So Jake, like, and I, I love this idea of kind of 
you know, trying to not necessarily spot specific companies, but spot a trend um, that's that's kind of, you know, on the precipice of, of being a big deal. And I'm curious, like, how how do you how do you form theses around those trends and like how do you get exposure to that? Um, because obviously yeah. you have to be introduced to some degree, right? So how do you how do you get that exposure? Um, I work with founders like very, very closely. Um, there are times when, you know, we'll spend like a year working alongside someone before making an investment. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of a really, really excellent um, kind of trend that I saw. So I'm big in the NFT space. NFTs are non-fungible tokens. You could think of them as digital art on the blockchain or really digital media on the blockchain. So art, collectibles, in-game assets, you know, but also fonts and 3D models and stock photos and things like that. Um, one problem with non-fungible assets is that they're non-fungible, meaning every single asset has a different value, right? It's kind of like art, like not every painting is worth the same amount of money. They're worth different amounts of money depending on who painted them and how old they are and, and who owned them along the way and so on and so forth. Um, so one core problem in blockchain has been well, fungible assets like tokens have been very liquid on decentralized exchanges, but non-fungible assets have been very illiquid because for every one you can find, you know, you need to find a buyer to transact, um, just like in the traditional art market. Um, however, in blockchain, we can solve that problem of illiquidity using blockchain technology. And so there are now protocols coming to market that are building uh, something called pure prediction oracles, which is a fancy way of saying um, this is a protocol that allows a group of appraisers of these non-fungible assets to form a consensus opinion about how much this thing is worth or might sell for in the future. And suddenly you can come up with a price for a, you know, an, an illiquid asset um, that is that might actually be reasonable that, be, that, that users can use as a reference for how much is this thing actually worth? Um, that's a trend that, you know, if you've been in the NFT space, like you've always felt that that would be a problem. And when I started working with the founder of Upshot Protocol, Nick Emmons, who was creating this pure prediction oracle, um, you know, they started out in insurance. And when we started working together, we realized like, wait a minute, we don't, we don't necessarily have to like limit that to insurance we can start appraising all kinds of illiquid assets, the natural class of those assets is NFTs. And so now as Upshot is about to launch this year and next quarter or so, um, the first use case of this protocol is actually going to be uh, NFT price discovery. And we think that that's gonna have a tremendous impact on the liquidity of that entire asset class, just with the introduction of this single protocol. Um, and so, I'm probably one of the first investors in that NFT liquidity problem trend. And that's because I've just been so plugged in working um, with founders uh, and, and, and being a user of NFTs for, for so many years um, that we were able to become one of the first investors in, um, you know, in companies solving that problem. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really awesome story. It's, it seems like every time I kind of go down the rabbit hole with a lot of these protocols and things, you, you oftentimes find uh, pain points and you can think for me, at least I can think of another protocol that may solve that pain point. Like uh, with your 
um, example about like a liquidity pool with balancer or something um, solving liquidity issues. So it's, that's super interesting to me. Um, I guess, so from a, from the standpoint of being like a founder in the space right now, um, kind of what do you think are the biggest pitfalls that founders make and kind of, do you think that there's, do you think that founders should consider kind of the regulatory oversight that may be coming down the pipe for a lot of these protocols? Um, I mean, the, I, I think like any nascent industry is going to get attention from governance and governments and uh, regulators. I think blockchain is no exception to that. I want to be super clear, like blockchain in America, which is where we're, we are, um, it is highly regulated by many, many, many uh, different regulators, including the SEC, the CFTC, the OTC, the IRS, FinCEN, you know, and so on and so on and so forth. Um, so blockchain is a highly regulated space today. I think it will be more uh, regulated. I think we will see legislation probably sooner than most people like realize on blockchain. And I also think that it's been quite favorable. Like, like from, the per, uh, from the point of view of a founder, they ultimately, I think most founders in blockchain, they just want a framework that is, and guidance, right? Like that is certain. Once they have certainty, they know how to get to market with their product and, and to do so in a compliant and responsible way. And one of the challenges of blockchain the last five years has been like a lack of clarity and the lack of guidance. Um, what's really bullish on the, on the regulatory front is that this year with with uh, President Biden coming into office, we actually have the heads of like the like the three like core regulators of blockchain, the SEC, CFTC, and OCC. They're people who are very very much plugged into the blockchain space. Like Gary Gensler is going to be head commissioner of the uh, SEC. Like OCC is being head by headed by Brian Brooks, who's the uh, former uh, chief legal officer at Coinbase, right? So we actually have a number of folks in the government that now understand the issues really, really well. And uh, the other thing we shouldn't estimate, underestimate is with corporates putting crypto on their balance sheets like Tesla and MicroStrategy, with PayPal going in, with, with uh, Robinhood going in, with BNY Milling doing custody, with Fidelity doing custody, there is a huge kind of corporate interest that's developing in fair and consistent regulation and fair and, 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 um, and useful legislation for our industry. So I think the regulatory outlook is good in America um, overall. And, um, and then pitfalls for founders. Well, you know, I would say the best founders from our perspective um, as blockchain investors, they have in, experience in the space, in the industry. We find that those are the, the best kind of founders to bet on. And so the sooner you guys get in, the more experience you'll have. Um, and um, there's also something to be said for real world experience, right? Because a lot of times founders in, in blockchain uh, could, could be a little bit too idealistic about how this technology is applied. And having some of that real world experience with previous exits or, um, or how actual consumer adoption processes work could be really helpful for a founder. Jake, this, this has been awesome. Um, my big takeaway is I need to go read some more about this space. Um, where would you suggest I go? Ooh, that is, uh, that is a tough question to answer in one go, but let me, let me try. 
follow you Sorry, say follow you on Twitter. Absolutely, you should follow me on Twitter. I'm uh, JBRUKH on Twitter. Um, I think if you're if you're totally new, I think you should start with Bitcoin and Ethereum. Learn about what those blockchains are, what they do. Um, I think the best way to learn about blockchain is to do it. So I would recommend people to download Rainbow Wallet on their phone and go look up like DeFiPulse.com, try out some apps, you know, um, just kind of just dive in and, and try to see if, it, if you can make it work. There's a great article at, at Coindesk. If you Google around, it's, it's what is DeFi? So I'll give you an introduction to decentralized finance and how you might be able to earn 5% on your US dollar deposits, which are kicked the, the butt off of, uh, uh, you know, versus your bank, how much uh, APY you're making there. Um, if you're an artistically inclined, I really recommend you go check out uh, rarible.com. Take some of your visual art, mint an NFT, try to sell it to someone on the blockchain. Um, this is really hands-on stuff. And, and these products are, are now in market and you can actually put your hands on them. That's awesome. This has been great. And it's coinfund.io, right? It's your website. Coinfund.io is, is our website. Yeah, if you're a founder, you're building a product, you know, shoot me a DM on Twitter, send us an email. Um, you know, I'd be happy to look at your project and deck. Yeah, and for those of you that don't know, I'm going to plug for Jake here. Um, he is a digital art creator, so I'm sure there's some pieces floating around on the blockchain that he's made. And, and Jake, tell us about uh, First Edition a little bit. Totally. Um, FirstEdition.xyz is, uh, is a digital art gallery I started in 2019 to support some of these uh, crypto art artists that started out in the blockchain space. Um, that space is currently inflecting. It's doing some crazy, crazy stuff. Check out nbatopshot.com. That's a, you know, a collectibles, blockchain collectibles product made by Dapper Labs. Um, First Edition supports artists who make art on the blockchain. If you've never made art on the blockchain, or if you've never been able to earn money as an artist, you know, check us out. Um, send us a DM on Twitter. Uh, we might we might work with you. Um, and also we are in the process of putting out a brand new artist at first edition, uh, whose name is optimistic. And he makes these like absolutely fantastic little, little, uh, little, little artworks. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, just sign up to our mailing list. It's first edition xyz.substack.com. Sweet. Jake, thank you very much. We wish you well. Awesome. Thanks guys. Thanks for joining.